Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. You can check out our courses, our community, and everything we do at onecommune.com. I've just popped back through the other side of the wardrobe to sunny LA from a snowy Vancouver, where I spent a couple days at the Lululemon Leadership Conference, an interesting event mostly dedicated to building corporate culture around the concept of human potential. On the show today, I am thrilled to host my friend, Dr. Chelsea Jackson-Roberts, who is also a global yoga ambassador for Lululemon. Chelsea received her PhD from Emory University in 2014, relying on ethnography and narrative inquiry as her primary research methods. Chelsea explores the lived experiences of individuals across multiple communities. Her most recent research utilizes the lived experiences of black teen yoga practitioners who use yoga and storytelling as mediums for critical literacy development. Chelsea is also a certified yoga teacher who studied under the guidance of her beloved teacher, Ma Jaya. Chelsea has also completed two additional yoga trainings in Atlanta and New York, specifically for instructors who work with children and teens. And it was during Chelsea's most recent training on restorative justice at the University of Wisconsin that she began making connections between the value of storytelling, critical literacy development, and yoga. Funded by grants from Emory University and Spelman College, Chelsea founded a yoga literature and art camp for teen girls in 2013. Now on the show today, we discuss the meaning of yoga, the importance of reinstilling values in our culture, the experience of Chelsea's camp for teen girls, and a lot more. I'm so excited for today's show with Dr. Chelsea Jackson-Roberts. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and welcome to Come. I am Dr. Chelsea Jackson-Roberts. I'm an educator. I'm an educational researcher and I'm a yoga teacher. I teach yoga teachers um, in pre-service teachers trainings while they're actual yoga teachers. And I specifically look at the ways in which our yoga practice impacts how we engage the world, whether it's our relationships, how we use our voice, the activism that we participate in. Um, and so I'm a former school teacher. I come from a public school education background and I moved from that into teaching yoga, so. Mm. And you, you seem uncommonly happy. You're going to be this happy all the time. Then I need to go get another espresso. <laughs> well, I think that the yoga practice certainly makes me aware of the joy that sometimes is not brought to the surface. And I do know that it has impacted my awareness and how I express myself through my smiles or through the warmness that I hopefully provide to people so that we can connect and have conversations that bring us even closer together. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about your journey into yoga and kind of the inflection points in your life that led you to make the decisions to become a teacher and 
and a doctor. Yeah. So I found yoga or yoga found me. Um, I share this story. I always get excited to share that I was a park ranger in Carlsbad, <laughs> New Mexico when I was in college. And I was actually reading a Rodney Yee book and trying to teach myself how to practice yoga, how to do yoga. It wasn't until after I graduated from college that I actually stepped into my first yoga class for several reasons. I was intimidated, I was scared, I wasn't comfortable in my body, but the first class that I had ever gone into was a hot yoga class. Um, I actually started my practice through Bikram yoga. That was my introduction. And sometimes I critique myself in that and I also see the value in how I've arrived to a practice that has opened up so much. So for me, I encourage people to allow the practice to work through them wherever it's found and wherever it finds them. And so I totally thought that this was just a physical workout. It was the same to me as going and, you know, lifting weights or going for a jog. And while people can find their meditation in those activities, yoga for me was just so intentional about being connected to my body, being present, speaking my truth, hearing the truths of others, that mm. I knew that this was a little bit different than any other exercise I had engaged before. Mm. And it came into fruition and taught me that when I years later experienced a huge tragedy in my life and my best friend and former college roommate Misty Carter was murdered in Atlanta Georgia and at the time being 23 24 years old I had never experienced trauma of that magnitude and I didn't have the tools or resources I'm from Dayton Ohio I grew up very um from a working class, middle class, African-American family, and I didn't necessarily know the tools available like therapy or seeing someone to support me. And so yoga for me was actually that therapy um, that even led me to open up to be okay to go to a therapist and sit down and have chats. Mm -hmm. And so for me, yoga, my arrival to yoga was definitely twofold in this journey, one physical and then one that got really deep. Yeah. Spiritually, you mm -hmm, call it. Spiritually. And you felt that the, the portal, the opening of the door came through the physical piece. It did. It did for me. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, no, I do know there has not been any other practice that I've been in this embodied state that has opened me up in the way that yoga has. Yeah, it, it's funny because... Um, there's a lot of like, well, we've got to demystify yoga mm -hmm. to make it more accessible mm -hmm. to more people. Because mm -hmm. if we talk and extol the spiritual virtues of yoga, that's going to freak people out a mm -hmm. little bit. Mm -hmm. Let's like inch them in mm -hmm. by kind of demystifying mm -hmm. it and being like, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. yoga will give you strength, flexibility, like I suppose six pack abs, a high butt or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, like... And, th and that wor that worries me a little bit because we seem to be like always demystifying everything. Mm -hmm. Like even meditation, it's like, oh, well, you know, we're really not going to talk about the consciousness piece. Mm -hmm. We're going to like talk about like meditation for optimal performance mm -hmm. at work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or like, you know, yeah. or, yeah. you know, meditation for sports. Mm -hmm. Look, the Seattle mm -hmm. Seahawks you know, started meditating and they won the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And um, in a way, we, you know, as a culture, we seem to shy away 
from things that are marketed as spiritual mm -hmm. because, you know, that might seem off-putting to people. Right, right. And, um, but it sounds like you started mm -hmm. because, okay, well, this, this could be an exercise. Yeah, I wanted to lose weight. Yeah. That's why I started. And, you know, what you said is valid. And I think that context matters when we think about who and how we share yoga. Mm. And I think it's all about the communities that you choose to share this. And are you a part of the community? How can you engage the community? How can you learn what their community practices are? I did learn that in many ways, in hard ways, um, of the lessons that I've learned along the way of being so excited about this thing that has impacted my life that I'm like, I've got to tell everybody. Kind of like when when I transformed into vegetarian and I went home for Christmas. <laughs> I'm like, everybody's eating tofu. Everybody's <laughs> eating. And I wanted to impose my experience with yoga or with food yeah. onto people who may not have been able to receive that message where they were. Now, I think that that happens in two different ways. There are some people who don't want to receive the message and they have all of the tools, resources, um, education to be able to understand what we talk about when we talk about yoga philosophy and the context of the sutras and how to live our lives in a way that will create the least amount of harm in this world. And then we have other communities where folks actually may not have the the vantage point or the perspective or the experience to be able to arrive to see yoga in the most profound way. Right. Yeah. yeah, so I, I do believe that context certainly matters yeah. and that I was certainly met with yoga where I was ready to receive the message. And then I was really young, too, when I started the practice. So. Mm -hmm. Um, there's actually a wonderful definition of yoga. I wanted to ask you what your definition of yoga is, but I might just read one if I can mm -hmm. find it. Okay, here's one. Um, that yoga is a path um, to omniscience and enlightened consciousness, enabling one to comprehend the impermanent, elusive, delusive, and permanent true transcendent reality. So essentially that through the practice of yoga, you can become conscious of the things that I guess one might say are real, mm -hmm. infinite, outside of time and space, outside of location and form, the soul, consciousness, mm -hmm. God, mm -hmm. the spirit, mm -hmm. whatever you want mm -hmm. to call that, and the world of the 10,000 things, this chair, your mm -hmm. body, my body, Kylie, this table, anything that will essentially decay and mm -hmm. return to dust and that living as much as you can every day with that awareness of these things that are true and real and infinite I might throw into that basket love mm -hmm. compassion mm -hmm. empathy versus living from the place of the impermanent mm -hmm. which is essentially this chair or my ego mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that tells me that I'm separate from right, you, that right. separate from God, that I am what you think of me, right. that I am the resume, my resume or what I do mm -hmm. or something like that. And I think that that is an interesting definition of yoga as a practice to cultivate that consciousness between what is real mm -hmm. and true and what is essentially 
impermanent. Mm -hmm. What do you think mm -hmm. about that? I think that that was amazing. That was an amazing <laughs> definition. Um, my definition of yoga, I keep it simple, that it means Good. to unite, <laughs> to yoke. And essentially, that is what you just described, that it, we are all connected. I love um, when Sean Korn explains that, you know, I cannot exist in this body, in this world without seeing myself or the shadows or the whatever it is that I want to hide. So whenever I come across people that may trigger me, me into a reaction that's emotional of anger or shame or anything, the things that I'm probably not smiling about, that I know that this also exists in me. And I think that this is a way that we can even practice self-compassion for ourselves if we truly think that we can be kind to other people. We have to start with ourselves. And so for me to come at approach life in a way that has this lens of yoga, that we are all connected, that my liberation depends on your liberation, yours on mine, mm -hmm. that it makes us know that we don't have a lot of time to waste. Yeah. And yes. yeah, we don't have a lot of time to waste. And for me, my practice reminds me of that each and every time. We both know and love Tracy Stanley, who is my yoga nidra teacher, and where I used to shame myself about rest and resetting myself through my yoga nidra practice, actually, it awakens me more to life when I come out of my practice because it is exactly mm. what you said. It's moving in between, in between the space of being awake and drifting into not being fully conscious, but also in that realm of consciousness. So you had a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about your the prominent teacher in your yeah, life. Yeah, sure. So I, um, as I said, I, I started my yoga practice with hot yoga, but mm -hmm. then I ended up moving into meditation, and mm -hmm. I really wanted to dive into it and with a responsible teacher, which is key and essential for anybody who's practicing to make sure that you have a teacher who you trust. And I found Kashi Atlanta Urban Ashram, mm -hmm. and my teacher, Swami Jayadevi, I met her teacher, who then became my teacher, Majaya Sati Bhagavati, who was this wild teacher who, you know, even her entree into yoga was very similar to mine. She yeah. was trying to lose weight. Right. Yeah, she, it was like... I think I read that she enrolled in a, like, Jack LaLanne... Yes, cool, yes, like she was wild. Yeah. She was wild. So <laughs> Majaya, Brooklyn, Jewish, like this woman who traveled to India, fell in love with her teacher, Neem Karoli Baba, or Baba Neem Karoli, mm -hmm. who is the lineage that I, I am very connected to. And so Kashi Atlanta really taught me, just as you were saying, that oneness, that separation is, it's an illusion. It's Maya. It is not real. And when we think about the pain and the suffering that that separation has caused across the globe between communities, between living beings, animals, nature, as you said, it really, Kashi was a place that really taught me what seva was, mm -hmm. and that was selfless service of 
serving within our 200-hour teachers training at the local homeless shelters. We have um, programs at the Children's Hospital where children who are terminally ill, we have an art project with them. Mm. So there's so many things that yoga encompasses that I think actually don't get a lot of shine. I don't think that the the piece about Seva, Karma Yoga, it is sometimes seeing that, you know, again, this is this separate thing. This is this fragmented experience with yoga, but it's actually all apart. And for me, Kashi was the place that told me, taught me, showed me how Seva is very integrated into our yoga practice. Is that the ultimate goal of being human, selfless service? I hope so. I hope that, you know, how amazing would that be if everybody in the world walked in that manner and exchanged information in that manner? I think that if we did get to the point where we saw within ourselves or cultivated compassion for ourselves in a way that we couldn't help but to share it with the world. How could we not all want to be in the the practice of selfless service? But as you said, like once we get separate, then there's dominance, then there's you know power over. There's people who don't have power, and then selfless service becomes something that's mandated onto folks to then selflessly serve and it's not fair and it's not equitable. And so when I think about this yoga practice, for me, it is a great tool for us to be reflective on the ways that we are separate within ourselves. And we try to to compartmentalize our aspects within the world. But I want to show up with my whole self. Sometimes I'm introverted. Sometimes I'm quirky. Sometimes I have a lot to say. And you may get all of that in one session. And instead of me trying to silence a part of me that I think may not be acceptable, I want to be able to show up as my full and whole self. And so Mm. to me, that's the goal. And then in turn, hopefully selfless service becomes that extension so that the world can connect. Yeah, I mean, do you feel, I wonder if yoga, if yoga is essentially, or meditation, Mm -hmm. um, yoga as meditation or yoga leading to meditation is Um, essentially the tool, the key, Mm -hmm. out of perpetual suffering. And the end product of that is right action, right work, selfless service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I can buy into that. I like Mm -hmm. that. So then the key is then how do you spread the practice? Right, right. Yeah, I think it's being done in many ways. I love when teachers place emphasis on the yamas and the niyamas. Mm -hmm. When you look at the different tools that were written in Pantanjali's Yoga Sutras before the physical practice even reached earthlings. (laughs) So when I think about the yamas and the niyamas, ahimsa, truth, integrity, non-stealing. And a lot of suffering comes from stealing. A lot of Mm. the suffering comes from folks having the desire because perhaps their community, we were just talking about food deserts, are being starved of things that other communities may have in abundance or 
an exaggerated amount of. And so for me, the suffering comes when there is an imbalance or there's not equity or equality when it comes to resources in particular. Mm -hmm. And I'm just talking about resources, just basic living needs that can start to move people, shift people emotionally of the fear of not having enough or not having things to just survive. And so for me, that's where suffering can be looked at from two angles of the folks who don't have enough and the folks who are taking way too much. And that's where the suffering comes. One of my favorite writers and teachers is James Baldwin. My husband Shane and I share that mutual love, respect for him. Actually, that's how we really connected. When I found out he was into James Baldwin, I was (laughs) like, I'm going to marry this man. And James Baldwin um, once said... I'm going to make a note to myself. (laughs) If it's that easy, I'm going to get some James Baldwin (laughs) books right away. And James Baldwin once said um, in an interview, you know, I... The individual has to come to terms with their own suffering and be honest and grounded in the truth of where that suffering is coming from. Mm -hmm. And it's from that place and understanding of my own suffering that I can then in turn understand your suffering. And then we together use our suffering to move deeper into love. And so for me, that is what suffering births out of it if it is actually confronted. Mm -hmm. It's uncomfortable. It brings up shame and guilt when you have to look, oh, this person is suffering because of me. Oh, my impact on the world is creating harm in this specific community or to animals or to the environment. And so when we come to terms with the amount of suffering that we actually put into the world, we can also come to terms with the suffering that we're experiencing. And again, that shows us how we are all connected and how, again, the liberation of all living beings are codependent. We're all interdependent in many ways. Yeah. Liberation. Mm -hmm. That might be the... That is arguably the end goal of yoga. It is. That's what happens in the Chittakash, in the crown chakra. Once you move through the chakras and you go up, that's hopefully what it is. That's what... I thought, I hope that's why I'm doing this in this lifetime because I want to be liberated. And in the event that I do come back again in another form, I want to pick up where I left off. And that's why I'm doing the work in this lifetime. Mm. That's beautiful. Um, what is? What are your personal goals? And I mean, in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Um, personal goals for me is to write a book. To have a book that is accessible to the people. I'm a PhD, so I wrote a dissertation. I've written a lot of journal, journal. Now I can't even talk. Journal articles. I like the journal. Journal. We may have. That's a whole new thing. (laughs) Someone buy that domain right now. Journal.com. So I've written quite a bit of very um, cerebral, very um, heady, like academic writing. And it has been a longing in my heart's desire to write. And that was one of the reasons why I didn't even apply to tenure track positions, because I knew the work that we were doing with yoga literature and art camp for teen girls. I knew that it had to get beyond academia. I knew that I had to go beyond just talking to the same people, the same professors and students, and I wanted to go to the people. So writing a book, Jeff, that is the life goal. That's good. So this is a big debate that happens within philosophical circles, essentially the active life versus the contemplative life. Mm -hmm. When I look 
at what you're doing, what I'm seeing is like, okay, I have got some really powerful philosophical ideas based in yoga, but I'm not just gonna like be a, you know, sit in an academic environment and kind of spar with my other right, PhDs. Right. I'm gonna bring this out to the streets. Right, right. And essentially that's what I'm hoping that folks take with their yoga practice. I think that yoga can be a very, or yoga communities and as it's practiced here in the Western world can be a very tricky or slippery slope to where you can get this tool, you get this practice and you're like, I'm feeling peace and zen and I don't want this to go anywhere. So let me isolate myself. Let me right. go to the most exclusive place that I know that folks who will actually probably trigger me into not being happy. And of course you have to do what you need to do to support and maintain your own peace. But I also look at how yoga can be used as this way to create more separation and exclusivity and only certain people, you know, if you go to a particular place that you're going to see these particular people and this is your safe place. I mean, we have it in, for folks of color, people of color. I, yoga literature and art camp is specifically for young women who self-identify as young women of color. And so we needed to carve out a space for us to be safe and to practice this embodied and very intimate practice. And we have to look at how exactly what you said, how we can use this practice and integrate it into society where it's actually needed. And we can use it to interrogate our own bias, our own privilege, our own capacity to ignore and separate. And so for me, yeah, just like academics, I guess that is what I'm doing with yoga. I never mm -hmm. thought about it like that, but yeah, I don't want to keep it to myself. I want to share it with the world. Right. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the camp. Mm -hmm. So the yoga literature and art camp, how it, what was, how it germinated, how it grew, Yeah, very why, much. what happened, what actually happened? <laughs> what happened there? Yeah, so Yoga Literature and Art Camp came out of my dissertation. I was an educator, thought I would always be an educator, thought I was going to be a professor, and the girls who were a part of my ethnographic case study told me otherwise. Mm -hmm. When we were finished with the study, their parents, the community began to email Shane and I and asking when we were going to make this happen again. And so we were like, I guess we have an annual camp on our hands. But the thing was, we didn't have the resources to sustain a camp. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the biggest issue was one, having the resources, having a staff, and what we did was saw that our community was ready to really step up and support. And so Yoga Literature and Art Camp provides tuition, free experiences for young women who self-identify as women of color, ages 13 through 17, and we expose them and introduce them to different types of yoga. And then we also center different women who are identify as women of color. So we've had Korean American women, Dominican women, African American women, Iranian, Indian women who all come and share their perspective and their lens of yoga. And the girls are now normalizing seeing these teachers as wise master teachers. Mm -hmm. And so that was important. And it was important to integrate the written word, the spoken word in there. Because as a young woman, I remember growing up in Dayton, Ohio, in elementary school in the 80s and 90s, the late 80s and 90s, that I always remembered other characters being centered and I didn't always see myself as the main character, a little girl who had the same skin as me or hair like me. And it was important that we 
put all of those components into the program, both art. We're at Spelman College Museum of Fine Art. We are the only, we're a historically black college for women where I graduated from. But we're the only museum in the world that houses only art from women from the diaspora, the African diaspora. So the girls are surrounded by the reflection in art. They're reading Maya Angelou, Nikki Giovanni, and they're practicing yoga with women of color. And so how amazing to have that be your experience at the age of 13, that it's normal to see yourself reflective, regardless of what's going out side of those doors, they know that when they come into that space, they are being centered in their experiences and voices. So yeah. that's... It's, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and are they... Where, how does the art um, and literature manifest, instantiate mm-hmm. itself yeah. within the experience? Are people writing? Are they mm-hmm. reading? They're doing it all. Are they we, sharing? We hire yeah. local artists. One of the things that we're very proud of is that we pay all of our teachers quite well. We received um, the Here to Be grant from Lululemon. I'm a global yoga ambassador with Lululemon, and that has certainly been a journey to be able to use a platform that has historically been critiqued for locking out certain body types, but now, me being the global ambassador, the first black woman to be a global ambassador, the body type that I have, all of these things are important. And so here to be with Lululemon, they made a pretty significant contribution to yoga literature and art camp. And so we hire artists, we hire yoga teachers, we hire teachers, we hire community advocates who want to come in and do workshops with how to use your voice in society. And so, yeah, we integrate this. You got to come to a camp or see one of our documentaries (laughs) that we plan on making. When you ask me what I want to do, have a documentary for yoga literature and art camp. I meet the criteria. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I I stopped but we do have community events that we do share and everyone yeah. is welcome everyone is welcome there so i'll keep keep you posted on that fantastic um we're gonna come we're gonna bring this to a very uh emotional transcendent moving finale in okay. some fashion um so obviously you do a lot of social justice work mm-hmm. um you talked about this for a moment um, where um, many people have had the response around their personal and spiritual practices that this is my sacred space. Don't bring your sullied world of politics Mm -hmm. or social justice into my sacred space Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. this is the place where i find Mm -hmm. center Mm -hmm. where i find connection and i don't want to deal with any of that stuff Mm -hmm. when i'm in this space and at some level like how can you blame people when Mm -hmm. you know you can turn on 24-hour news and you know it's endless sound bites of like absolutely immoral you know action men, what my wife calls men, just swinging their (laughs) genitalia Mm -hmm, around, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. with absolutely no sense of Mm -hmm. consciousness. You know, I saw some tweet yesterday, and I'm not going to go into a whole Trump thing, but essentially where, where, you know, he's talking about spending $2 trillion, $2 
trillion dollars mm -hmm. on fancy new military I equipment mm -hmm. when i mean i don't have to enumerate where that two trillion dollars could have gone mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. only to use it as to as a means of retaliation if a country that we unilaterally attacked <laughs> attacks us back so you know i can understand why people need a safe space mm -hmm away from mm -hmm. that world mm -hmm. at the same time i don't i think that era of like don't put your chocolate in my peanut mm -hmm. <laughs> or whatever mm -hmm. like don't put your politics in my yoga practice mm -hmm. i mean for me that's just got to be over absolutely and i say what how nice what a luxury to be able to have the privilege to say don't bring politics or whatever it may be I can't separate that this body right here is political just in its existence, especially on this land in particular. I, I mentioned to you earlier in our talk, talking that Shane and I um, are really into ancestry and DNA. And to know the historical context of suffering, of the trauma that I've inherited, of the segregation, of the apartheid that we've experienced on this land, that my parents even experienced in their lifetime as baby boomers, that it's important to know that we also don't use our yoga practice as Michelle Cassandra Johnson will reference spiritual bypassing mm -hmm. to say, you know what? No, I don't see color or I don't see race. So why are they making a big deal about not having enough black yoga teachers on a lineup? And so that travels with me everywhere I go. So I don't have the convenience or the luxury to say, mm, not in my yoga practice. When I step into spaces, I have to deal with one time jeff i just recently in the last year i was showing up as one of the headlining teachers as at a yoga conference and i was mistaken as the cleaning service within the room that i was about to teach in now that this is right before i'm about to teach that someone asked me was i going to throw away some things and tidy up the room this was a real thing that happened to me who actually is in, a very visible teacher yeah, on the circuit in 2019 this just happened and so for me, I don't have that luxury. And I even come from spaces of privilege in the fact that I have the educational degrees that I have, or I have both of my parents in the home and they were both, you know, have master's degrees, whatever it may be. I hold my own privilege to where I could even buy into that and say, oh no, I don't want to think about that here. But that's impossible because going back to the beginning of our conversation, we are all connected. There is no way that people can turn off. I don't care how much they say that they don't see things happening. Your body knows and your body experiences and feels it in whatever way it manifests. And so, yeah, to the folks who say that they don't want politics in yoga, then I would say that you are very privileged. And I also know that you know, it's going to take time. And I don't necessarily think that every yoga teacher needs to be a political analyst or has to have a social justice component to their their yoga teachers training. But I do think that responsible yoga teachers will go out and find folks who are trained in this that can come just as we teach philosophy, anatomy, Ayurveda, all of the different components of yoga. I think that diversity, inclusion, all of these things 
have to be integrated because it's the world that we live in and people are impacted by it. The students who walk into your yoga studios are impacted by Yeah, I this. mean, if you actually are a teacher mm -hmm. or, a, I said, student even of yoga, mm -hmm. and to you, yoga means union, it mm -hmm. means connection, then how could it not be political? Right. Absolutely. And what a wonderful framework that we have to be able to follow even the yamas and the niyamas when we are engaging the world. Right. Like yeah. if I'm practicing nonviolence, then I guarantee that all the suffering that we're seeing in the oppression and the marginalization, it wouldn't happen mm. if everybody practiced this, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, yamas and niyamas, do's and don'ts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what where that system can be so um, utilitarian mm -hmm. and useful, I guess mm -hmm. I would say, mm -hmm. in this day and age, is to provide principles, moral guidelines for our works and actions while we are here on earth. Yeah. While, and we live, as we were discussing, in a valueless society, mm -hmm. or at the best, like one mired in relativism, where I can say, well, no, this is actually right. You can say, no, someone else is mm -hmm. right. Someone else who's got some power can like stride into the room and say, no, I'm going co-opting, you know, moral principles mm -hmm. or universal truths. Mm -hmm. Essentially, when there is no, when there are no moral guidelines, mm -hmm. then we begin to create systems and structures to organize human lives yeah. that are devoid of principles. But mm -hmm. if those systems and structures are, are essentially created to serve humans, mm -hmm. how can they not be filled with principles and moral guidelines, universal truth, perennial precepts, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. and these things are baked in to the yamas and the niyamas, they're baked into the teachings of Christ, to mm -hmm. the teachings mm -hmm. of Mohammed, mm -hmm. to the teachings of Lao Tzu, the Buddha, right. it doesn't matter. Right, right, A Different right. mask, right. same face, yep. you know? Absolutely. And that these are the principles that our culture, our society, our global society so desperately needs, mm -hmm. otherwise we're rudderless. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I was saying, it's like, Nobody wakes up in the morning, even the oil and gas executive, and says, I'm going to warm the globe today. Mm -hmm. No one goes into the office because like, <clears throat> well, we've only got 415 parts per million of carbon. By the end of the day, we're going to have it at 430. Like nobody says that. Mm -hmm. But in the absence of moral guidelines, that's just what happens. Yeah, I was going to say, I hope no one says that. But the way that I experience this world, it feels like people are, <laughs> how yeah. robust this assault on humanity and, you know, extending 400 years ago and even more, like there yeah. were intentional plans to keep people locked out. And so, yes, that is my hope that no one wakes up and hopefully we are evolving to a place of that. And there's still a lot of work to be done. Right. Yeah. 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 Like what I envision for this new decade moving forward. Yes, um, And we're fresh here. Mm -hmm. We can, you know, we can make our reality mm -hmm. in many ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've thought about this and I've talked about this before is that 70,000 years ago, there was only 2,000 human beings left in East Africa. That's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. That's where we all came from mm -hmm. at some mm -hmm. point. I there found was... out in my DNA that I'm from there. <laughs> well, <So. laughs> on some level, we all are. Yeah. And so, 
you know, that it is not a question of our ability, mm-hmm. it's our question of our will. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what I envision and deeply, profoundly hope for is that values, principles, yamas and niyamas, the teachings of Christ, whatever, mm-hmm. however you want mm-hmm. to codify them, can become part of how we all view the world and become essentially instilled in the systems mm-hmm. and structures mm-hmm. that govern the stability of our human condition, whether that's laws or regulations or how a business charter looks, your articles of incorporation, mm-hmm. doesn't matter, mm-hmm. but that a sense, but right now mm-hmm. we just don't have them. Yeah. Yeah. And yoga, do you see yoga as potentially being I hope that? so. I mean, yeah, what I, I so see too. is like, you know, I mean, and it's hard not to think about it in govern in the in terms of government mm-hmm. because, and I'm not really like our government needs to change and be impacted. But on some level, I think we need a change of consciousness, and then the government mm-hmm. will change. Mm-hmm. But if we're working within the systems and structures that we already have, which is this kind of republic that mm-hmm. we live in, mm-hmm. then you know we should have a cabinet level job that is about morality yep. and values and principles. Yeah. And that can be about health and well-being, mm-hmm. but that can also to be honest just be about how do we instill the values of love, compassion, empathy, charity, mm-hmm. forgiveness, mm-hmm. persistence, mm-hmm. looking at shame <laughs> <laughs> into everything that we do yeah. so that then we are operating through that lens. Yeah. And then that keeps us with, like otherwise we're rudderless mm-hmm. that keeps us and, and I'm not against like market-driven economies mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. democracy I mean I'm a little bit more into social democracy than mm-hmm. neoliberalism but but what we have is essentially just an absence of that so Absolutely. yeah like you should be yeah. secretary of yoga How's well that? thank you <laughs> I will take that position I accept <laughs> But yeah, Jeff, exactly what you just said. Um, As a public school teacher, former public school teacher, I look at, you know, the the most vulnerable populations. And for me, I was working in Title I schools, predominantly black and brown communities, and they were youth. And so when I think about the most vulnerable communities, I think about youth in particular, and some of the youngest, brightest, most optimistic minds that are actually destroyed through public education in many ways. And so when I think about those ways of thinking and the access to even have a perspective like we're sharing right now, they happen in the arts. That's why we wanted it to be yoga, literature, and art camp. They happen through music, through art, through literature in many ways. And that's the first thing to go in public education that is schooling the majority of vulnerable populations. And so when you look at the folks who are experiencing an infinite amount of suffering and what they're being starved of, that we have to be honest and grounded in the truth. And my yoga practice is the thing that helps me get grounded in that so that I don't become so frustrated with myself that this ain't working, that something I'm doing, but I'm like, look, Chelsea, you are a part of a larger system that was in many ways constructed to do exactly what it's doing. And so for me, I'm grateful for spaces and conversations like this where Perhaps I may not have been invited or been able to step into the doors of some places. And it's the connections like these that 
invite others to come along as well. And so I call on my community, introduce them to folks from your community, and we become community. And that's the way to me how I can run for secretary of, <laughs> yes, you of should, yoga. You should, yeah, you should be absolutely, I mean, forget secretary, you should just be president. You should run for office. Have you ever thought about that? Hey, we'll see. Uh, you're me. thinking about it, I can tell. Yeah, I mean, I think Gandhi said a society be, should be judged by how it treats its most vulnerable members. Absolutely. This is not what's Absolutely. happening. And I think the point that you make about music and art and literature, mm -hmm. really, I can quantify that potentially up here as storytelling. Absolutely. And these are the ways that we tell Absolutely. a story. And we're, as human beings, we're awfully good at storytelling. Mm -hmm. And it's really the stories that we have told that are the underpinnings of our, how our society is organized mm -hmm. in, in systems of cooperation. Mm -hmm. I mean, the ascent of Christianity over a very short period of time, for example, that's just storytelling. Mm -hmm. That's just us all coming together yeah. around a myth yeah. to create an imagined order mm -hmm. and that creates essentially a system of how we interact mm -hmm. with each other. Yeah. And if Christianity blossomed and bloomed within essentially a very short, 30, 40 years, mm -hmm. and then became sort of the, through proselytizing and kind of missionary-based mm -hmm. stuff, became yeah. the dominant religion with Islam today, then who's to say that we can't create our own stories mm -hmm. and right. our own right. systems? Right, right. Absolutely. Mm. And that's my hope that we yeah. continue to get to tell each other's stories and tell our own stories. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you, Chad. You're doing absolutely <laughs> transcendent, beautiful work. It's an honor to host you and Shane here Thank you. in Topanga and to be working on this project with you. Same here. Thank I'm you. Behind you all the way. Keep up the work. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you want to find out more about Chelsea and all the great work she's doing in the world, please visit her website at chelsealovesyoga.com. If you have any questions or comments on today's episode or the show in general, shoot me an email at jeffk at onecommune.com. That's all from the commune for this week. I am Jeff Krasno, and I'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.